Good morning. I felt really at home during the dedication. Uh, Chris and I had an amazing journey across from the Wirral, where my mother still lives at the age of nearly 94, across to Leeds, where our son and uh, his wife, Bucky, uh, live. And she is half Yoruba, half Jamaican. And we had seven names. The only one of which I could pronounce was Daniel which was the name we given the baby, but the first name was Iobamadeli, and then there were several others, all of which had meanings in the Lord, but it was a nightmare journey. And Chris was crying with laughter so badly as I was trying to learn to pronounce these names, because I was doing the dedication, that her mascara was running down her face all the way over. So I did not feel sorry at all for you, Keith. As you were going through this this morning. It's a great joy to be with you. Chris and I met uh, in Oxford in 1965. We were 18 years of age. Got engaged a year later. We were training to be teachers up at Westminster College. We were not Christians in college. The Christian Union took such a, a horrified concern about the two of us that they prayed for us by name and prayed for us out loud and prayed for us in the room underneath, which was her room. Those prayers got through to heaven two and a half years later when we had an encounter with God in Whitney in a Methodist church where I was a a teacher in the area with Chris uh, at the RAF school at Bryce Norton. And the Holy Spirit broke through in a meeting, in a, a Sunday evening meeting in Whitney in the Methodist church. About 600 people were there. I was leading the youth work in that area. I was sitting one side of the church and Chris was sitting the other side. She was sitting the other side because she was with the girls, I was with the boys. We were trying to keep the girls away from the boys and the boys away from the girls. Whatever happened to that? (laughs) Okay. It It was largely successful. It was the only way to stop them messing around. We were not saved. Our marriage was in big trouble through my own selfishness and putting God at one side and living for sport. And I was wrecking my marriage by my own pursuit of hedonistic sport. And at the end of the day, uh, as this guy began to preach, he did some unusual things. Um, For a start, he changed the numbers on the hymn board. You never do that in a Methodist church. Secondly, he came down out of the crow's nest where he was preaching, preaching six foot above contradiction, above everybody else in the building. Thirdly, he made an altar call. And as he made the altar call, he had been preaching off the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. And it had really hit me. I was wealthy. I was ruling. I had a significant job in the school in the area. I was beginning to work in local radio, in sports. We, we had a reputation that was building. The, the youth work had over 400 children in over the, the, the three years that we were there. But it wasn't enough. And as I heard the story of the rich young ruler, I came face to face with the Holy Spirit for the first time. He convicted me of my sin. He convicted me of his righteousness. And he convicted me that one day I would face eternal judgment for how I'd wasted my life on sport. That's a big awakening. But he did it in a wonderful way. It wasn't condemning. He didn't come in. Jesus and the Holy Spirit did not come into the world to condemn the world. They came to convict the world. At the same time, on the opposite side of the building, my wife was coming under great conviction from the same story, but in a totally different way. She lived a life she was always good, unlike me. 
She'd always tried to be good, and the more she tried to be good, the further away God seemed to get from actually receiving her because all our own righteousness is like filthy rags unto him. And God spoke to her in a very clear way. Now, he then made the appeal. I had the unusual experience of what appeared to be like a hand. There was no hand there, but he, I felt like I was grabbed by my, and I walked out real fast to the front and got down at that altar. I was broken. And then I heard, and I looked, and there was my wife. She'd walked all the way down the aisle. She had very high heels in those days. <laughs> she walked down the aisle. And there she was next to me. And when I eventually looked, there were 10 of the youth work with us. One of them was Mark Mumford. There are seven of us still working together today. That was November the 1st, 1970. We walked into the back room. And when we got to the back room, three Methodist ministers came in. One after another said the same thing. We don't know what to do with you. And that night we were born again and we were orphaned. And Mark Mumford, who was the mouthy one at the time and has never changed over the years, turned to me and he said, he used these words, you've been my shepherd up to now, you can carry on being that. And a church began to form around us. We were 23 and a half years of age. And we had to find the Holy Spirit. We were as dry as dry could be. We were like dry sticks. We knew we'd met Jesus, but there wasn't the power to live the life that we needed to live. And by July the following year, we were with Jeff and Mary Norwich, and they were saved as well at the same time. And we were close together, and we were praying, and we felt like if we don't receive some power from God, and we didn't know what that power was, we, were, we, were, we knew nothing. We just started to read the Bible, and it seemed like, just stone. Unless we received some power from God, we were going to quit because we believed that we were to do something 24-7, not Sunday morning between 10 and 12. And a man came into the church. He was an Anglican and he preached a message. And his message was very powerful. It was about the woman at the well. And it was about how Rivers of living water could come out of your inside about you could receive a life in Christ that you'd never received before by the Holy Spirit coming to you. And we were so excited. We grabbed him after the meeting and he was nervous. I mean, you've got to understand there was no Bethel in those days. You could not go to Toronto. There was no such thing as going anywhere for the Holy Spirit. It was a dry and barren land in this nation. I can remember as our fellowship grew, we had over 40 people meeting in, in the living room of the house that we were meeting in. And one of the significant leaders in the nation came and he said, most cities don't have a group like this. That's how barren it was. And we were so thirsty. We grabbed this guy and he said, hey, I can't talk to you here. I'm an Anglican. I, I'm the minister in the town. If, if, I, if we could get into trouble for what's happening here, come and see me under the cover of darkness. So like Nicodemus, we went to his man's. We did, didn't we, Chris? And we walked in and he just said, I've got a word for you. And he gave us a word out of Ezekiel. I didn't know where Ezekiel was even in the Bible. I didn't even know where Ezekiel was. And he read this thing to you. I'm going to take out from you a heart of stone and put into your heart a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. And I will bring you into your own land. And I will bring many from other nations to you. 
And with that, he, he said he was very afraid. He couldn't do much else. Left us to our own devices. We went to Jeff and Mary's house. We read in the Bible that if you open your mouth wide, he would fill it, which the dentist does as well. And then we, we sat there with our mouths open, expecting to receive the Holy Spirit for about an hour. I remember a wind going through the house. It was a hot day. The door opened. It had been closed at one side and opened and at the front door at the back. And it went through the house. We started to speak in tongues. We were teaching at Gateway at Bryce Norton. We would walk around the classroom. We talked together. We had 72 kids in our class. And we were teaching together. And we'd go past a child and we'd start speaking in tongues. And we'd just go past. Have you still got it? Is it still there? It was that unique. And then God began his process of sanctification in our lives that changed us. And we began to be filled with power for purpose. We started to read in the Bible that he said in Romans, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So we let him lead us. That song that we sang about not being in control, giving over control, we gave control away years ago. We were kids who happened to read a book that we believed was breathed by the Holy Spirit So we'd ask the Holy Spirit to interpret it for us. And instead of coming up with our clever ideas and self-imposing them on the word of God, making us the creator instead of the creature, we decided we'd stay in the realm of the creature. And we went to the creator regularly and said, by your spirit, can you send us help to know what to do? Can you show us how to live? Can you teach us what to do with our finance? Can you show us what to do with our marriage? Let me just say something that God said to me this morning. Stop being so concerned about the environment and be more concerned about your marriage and your family and then the environment can get into the right place. Start in the garden first where God put the man and the woman and taught them how to walk in fellowship with him and taught them how to walk in fellowship together. Then you'll be able to control and to keep the garden as God fully intended. But to make the environment the issue before you've made the family the issue is the wrong order. It's not God's order. That's a revelation. If you don't like it, check your Bible. It's in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So we began to learn that our thinking had to change. Romans 8, 6 said, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. So we chose the mind of the spirit. And we learned to wait on his guidance. Our lifestyle changed. God began to speak to us again. You know what? Whenever God spoke to me out of Matthew 19, I thought, what's it going to be this time? I learned that my wallet belonged to God. I learned that my car keys belonged to God. I learned that my front door key belonged to God. I learned my wife belonged to God. I learned the kids when they came belonged to God. I learned that I couldn't give thanks to God for everything without giving him everything. Because it all came from him in the first place. And the Lord put his finger on our hearts. We were praying with Jeff and Mary. uh, Norwich, that is. Many of you know them. And we were praying with two single girls. One of whom's with the Lord now. Used to teach in the King's School many years ago. And what a wonderful testimony to the King's School. You want to invest in a good bank? Invest in the King's School. Most of our investments went into the King's School as our children went through. Our grandchildren are now in the King's School in Whitney. And I tell you, I did the assembly the other day. It was Psalm 139. And I was teaching the kids there are two things that people do when they run with God. One is they run, and the next one is they hide. And they look for darkness and deepness to get away from him. 
wow, these kids got hold of this. And I watched their little faces. And then we heard our Isaac, who is six, gave his heart to Jesus this week. Went into school, tells the teacher, you tell me you can do this in a state school. Tells the teacher, I've given my life to Jesus. And she says to the class, Isaac Bees has given his heart to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? How many more would like to? And eight put their hands up and became Christians this week. How about that? Now, actually, when Chris and I were teaching, I used to do that with the kids. And my boss let me do it because he was a Catholic. I had 43 children in my class when I finished, and 42 of them came to Christ. One of them was a JW, and he hung out all year. I was after him like a hunter. (laughs) And I failed just to keep me humble. Amen? Our lifestyle changed. God came and collected on the things that we were promising him while we were worshiping. You promise God an awful lot of things in times of peace and especially in worship. And he comes to collect them in times of war. And so he came and he asked us for our house and he asked Jeff and Mary for their house. And so we sold our houses. We put everything together. We were praying together uh, twice a day for two years until we saw Merrifield House come into place. And we moved in and supernaturally we watched God provide for us again and again and again. And we were constantly on our knees. I have never seen, I could write a book about this, but never have done. Because God never gave us the permission to. But we watched the supernatural hand of God start a movement in our lives that still continues 50 years later. It's never stopped. Because all God's promises are yes and amen in him. And his major promise was this, wait in the city until you receive the promise from on high. Then you'll be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. While we lived in Merrifield House, we watched the church go from six people to 200 people. When we got to 150, we couldn't meet in the house any longer. It was too small. If you got saved in those meetings when the Holy Spirit came down, we took you straight outside and we baptized you in the pool in the back garden. And sometimes we had to break the ice. But we were so radical because we believed what it said in the Word of God. And supernaturally, we saw amazing things happen. Now, I want to tell you the supernatural experience of God is not kept and controlled just to the nine gifts of the Spirit. We learned three things probably a lot more in Merrifield that were key as that church was beginning to develop. Our selfishness was challenged and we learned that servanthood had to take over. Forgiveness became to learn behavior. Man, I had to practice forgiveness. We had a girl in our house that was like Attila the Hun. I mean, she was really difficult. And every day I just say things very prophetically in the name of Jesus to her, but in the wrong spirit. And I would have to go upstairs each night. She had the bedroom above ours and apologize before we could go to sleep because I did not want the sun to go down on my anger. I'd read it in Ephesians 4. Have you read that? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgiveness became learned behavior. Dependence on God to supply all our needs became fundamental. Most of all, we learned this, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. And then we began to learn to live and to walk in the Holy Spirit off that foundation. It was an amazing journey. As we read the book of Acts, we did a Bible study one day. How many supernatural things do you think you can find in the book of Acts? 
We found 57. And then we asked the people that were there, and they were all your age, not their age, your age. We asked them, there were about 30 of them away in Scotland, and we said, how many of those things have you actually seen in your church? 57 different things. That's not doubling up. If you saw a miracle happen like a healing, you couldn't say that again. It was once. 57 unique different acts of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. How many do you think was the score? The top score was 16. And we learned something that day when we did that study. There's still an awful lot more of the supernatural life of God to be experienced by the people of God than we've ever experienced before. Chris said something as we were praying this morning, and I thought, wow, I'm glad she's written a will. She said, I'm probably going to die before I see some of these things fulfilled. But you will see them. You will see things that we've not seen. You will do things that we've not done if you pursue the Spirit of God. I have tried to raise the dead twice and twice I've failed. One of them was my closest disciple, my best friend and the second father to my kids. 37 years of age, he died. I lay on him. I sneezed on him. I breathed on him after he'd gone. I did everything I could do because he'd asked me to do it and he got stiff underneath me. That was not a pretty moment or a pleasant moment, especially as two of my daughters were in the room at the time and my wife and his wife. But I will not stop until I see the power of God manifest in people's lives. And I want you to have that same kind of determination. In fact, one of my friends was so determined to see that happen and had a prophetic word it would happen that when he was out in West Africa on a beach and somebody drowned, he actually went in front of a crowd of people and tried to raise this guy from the dead. Didn't and then had to walk through the crowd afterwards. That's a man I can follow. Determined he's going to see this happen. We became totally abandoned to God. Chris, I'm going to, three more minutes and it's yours. We were abandoned in worship. The more we worshiped, the more we promised. The more we promised, the more he fulfilled. It's amazing. The greater our worship, the deeper his presence. The deeper his presence, the more of the supernatural we saw. Don't give up in your worship. I was longing for you to sing this morning. I wasn't going to do this publicly, but I'll do it. I, I felt at one point you needed to sing out prophetically. With, who was the guy next to you? Do you know him? Yeah, Josh. Okay. Just go. Don't wait. Just bring what you brought. What you brought was very special. And you, you, you just walked the plank. And you didn't fall in. There was no splash. I never heard it. We moved by faith. Our hearts got softened. We, we began to change in the workplace. We began to change in our decision making. We began to change in our finances. We became generous. We wouldn't put up a thing like that saying we needed 90% more. We'd have been given anyway, so you didn't have to put it up. Whoa. Let me just say this. Tithes, which all of us should be giving to God. If we're not, we're robbing God. And we're robbing ourselves of the blessing of the promise of God. Tithes for ministry. Offerings are for buildings. Arms are for the poor. Amen. And it's in the Bible. And when you live like that, you'll love like that. I go to JB's place uh, <laughs> in Nairobi. When they take the offering, they take it in huge plastic drums. 
this high. And you'll have 14 deacons out the front trying to lift these things. And they stand there. And they say, it's offering time. And the people start cheering and stamping and coming out of their seats to give because they're taught about the blessing of God. If you don't know where it is, read Malachi. It's very clear. I could tell you an awful lot more things than this. Look, I, I wouldn't, you wouldn't have seen Nguisa McCandler and you would not have seen J.B. Masindi if we'd not been obedient to God. God spoke to us to leave our churches, to give our churches away and to go to the nations. When I say our churches, those that we were pastoring and caring for. God called us into Zimbabwe. He joined me to Nguisa McCandler in a most supernatural way 35 years ago. The same for J.B. Masindi. And God has done amazing things through them into the churches that we work with. It's not colonialism that we're exporting. We're exporting the kingdom and it comes back in a stronger way. As they put it, the empire is now striking back. I'm not going to give you any more examples other than these last two. And Chris, you're on. In the middle of the night in Nairobi, I had a dream, and in the dream, I was warned very clearly, do not go to Garissa in the morning. Garissa is on the Somali border. It's in the northeast of Kenya. I was flying by MAF with JB, and the, the plane was due to take us in. We have a school up there that some of our Danish brothers started, and we'd, we'd set up a couple of classrooms. My son had been there before uh, with some of my friends, but I'd not been able to go, and I was due to be there. And I called JB, I said, we're not going today. Call the pilot off. Tell him, this has happened. We'd have this dream. It's not safe for us to go. JB said, okay. Calls. About three o'clock that afternoon, Ruben Nazuki called us and he said, good job, you didn't come today. About 12 o'clock, armed guerrillas came to the school looking for a white man. I'd have been the only white man there. He said, they had AK-47s and they were not a happy bunch when they didn't find the white man. I was grateful for a supernatural dream from God. So was my wife. So was JB's wife. The Holy Spirit is still moving in supernatural ways. I'd never experienced that before. And being warned in a dream. He can warn you. He can halt you. He can lead you. He can guide you. He can guard you. He can teach you to pray when you don't know how to pray. And it's not stopped. We're still in the school of the spirit, but I'll leave you with this one. I learned many years ago that one of the best things the Holy Spirit does, they're all good, but this is one of the best. He renews our mind. Now listen, Oxford is known as a seat of high intellectual capacity. That can be a great blessing and an absolute curse. I will pray with the mind, I will pray with the spirit. Do we need to throw our minds away? No. But we need to discover who leads. Does the fella in the cellar lead the fanatic in the attic? Or does the fanatic in the attic lead the fella in the cellar? Think about that. That's a phrase that I learned many years ago and I made a decision I remember going into the garden at Merrifield House and taking all my books and 
taking all the notes that I'd made when I'd been in college and I put them in a big heap and I set fire to them. I said to the Lord, tell me how to preach. And my friend Aguiza McCandler always said this, he said, the gospel is simple, the West complicates it, therefore tells stories. And as I burnt it, I said, how do I preach? And the Lord said, like a seven-year-old. So a seven-year-old can understand. God bless you. Seven-year-olds. Is this microphone working? Fantastic. Just wondered if it was near enough my mouth the way I'd put it on. Uh, we're We're telling you these things for one reason this morning. We want you to continue with the story. That the things that we've seen and heard, we could, we could keep you here all day, which we're not going to, on wonderful things that have happened. But we don't want it to be our story. This is not a morning of taking notes or, 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 or even, we're not even looking at a lot of scriptures. I'll look at one or two. But um, we want you to catch something of the fire that has caught us all our lives. And we don't want to live any other way other than following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And just one story, I wasn't going to tell this, but the story about the dream. Uh, three weeks ago, I was with the, the ladies from Sheffield in the, with the Zimbabwean church there, primarily Zimbabwean. And um, there was uh, the lady who leads, led, led the group, Lydia, some of you know Lydia. She, she, she's quite a strong lady, and uh, she gets things done. And I went to her and I said, there's a lady in one of the churches in Oxfordshire called Celia Elwood, and she gave me a word to go to this conference with, and the the word was, there will be a lady in the audience, or in the congregation, sorry, um, who is called Caroline, just tell her that the Lord knows she's there, and I thought, that's a pretty pathetic word. I thought, okay, so I find this lady Caroline, and I just say, the Lord knows you're here, there must be more than that. And I said to Lydia, I said, you know who's on the list here, who's coming? I said, is there a lady coming who's called Caroline? Oh, Caroline, yes, she says. She said, I've had an awful job to get her here. But she said, in the end, I said, you're coming. She said, no, I don't think I'm coming. She said, I've paid for a room for you to come to this conference. You're coming. And she said, well, I'll pay you the money back, but I'm not coming. So I didn't know if she was going to be there or not. And uh, first night, I just gave a couple of other things that Celia had also given me to share. Powerful words, and many of the women responded. I said, is there anybody here called Caroline? And this lady put up her hand. And I said, there's a lady in Oxfordshire who's been praying. And she felt there was going to be a lady here called Caroline and wants you to know that the Lord is with you and knows you're here. And she came to see me afterwards, and she said, I lost my sister. She died. She's in her 30s, this girl. She said, I've gone through a terrible year. They thought I got cancer. They've been doing loads of tests. I've been at my lowest point. I've been depressed. And I thought, I cannot live as a Christian like this. Perhaps I'm not a Christian because all these things are happening to me. And I started to get these dreams, and I had it three. I can't remember she had three or four times this dream. When my sister appears in the dream, she's trying to give me a message. And behind this, uh, my sister is a white woman. And she's trying to speak to me, and I can't tell what she said. And she said, keep getting this dream, so I thought it was demonic. 
So I said to the Lord, I'll go to one more meeting. And if you don't speak to me, I can't be a Christian anymore because I can't live like this. She came to the meeting that day, partly through Lydia's pressure. She said, and you spoke to me and you said, there's a lady here called Caroline and I knew God knew me. And she said, you are the woman in that dream. The Lord has been showing me a white woman. She said, I never thought a white woman would say anything to me and help me. I thought it would come through one of my black brothers and sisters. She said, but you are the woman in the dream that the Lord's been showing me. And she said, I have gone because now I know the Lord knows me. And he heard my cry. She said, I have gone to minus zero, to over 100%. She said, I'm going on with God. However I'd have preached, whatever I'd have said to that group of ladies would never have done that for her. But the power of the Holy Spirit through the supernatural means, through a dream, through a woman in Oxfordshire who was faithful to give me a word, and through me giving that simple word, totally transformed her life. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. I've got some balloons here, and you know, I was thinking... You can, these balloons can stay in this packet for the rest of their lives and they'd still be perfectly good balloons. They wouldn't have holes in them. They'd still be balloons. They'd end their little lives as balloons. But they wouldn't be much use. It's only when the air gets inside that they become transformed into something completely different from these lifeless little balloons in here. And they become what they were created to be. They can bring a a, a smile to a child's face now. This wouldn't really do that. But full of the air, it brings a smile to a child's face. It can proclaim celebration. Or it can go somewhere and make a funny noise, make a sound. But this can't. Can't go anywhere, can't make a sound. It's the air inside that makes the difference. And it's a simple little illustration. Guys, we can't do this without the power and infilling, ongoing infilling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot heal the sick. We can't even preach the gospel with power if we don't have the Holy Spirit. We can't say anything to our neighbors that will make any difference if it's not through the power and enabling of God's Spirit within us. We can be clever, we can be gifted, we can be trained, but unless we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the life that you and I long for is not going to happen. But what an easy thing. It's as easy as blowing into that balloon that we can come before the Lord in his presence, say, Lord, fill me. Give me a hunger and give me a thirst for you. It's not about us, it's about him. And in Ephesians 5.18, it says the familiar phrase that you all know, do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting, isn't it, that those two things are together, that the life of the Spirit is is illustrated several times by being drunk. 
And I'm thinking, if I wanted to be drunk by wine, what, what would I do? Well, the first thing is I'd do is to go and find a bottle. I'd go and buy a bottle of wine, or I'd go to the, the wine cellar if I had one, or the wine rack, or wherever. I'd go looking for the wine. And there is a place where we have to determine to go looking for the Holy Spirit. It's not our efforts that will make anything happen, but the Lord longs for us to seek him and seek his face. Sometimes he hides things, not because he doesn't want us to find them, but he wants the joy of us finding it. A bit like an, a, a, an Easter egg hunt where, you know, as a mum or a dad or an uncle or a friend, you, you hide those Easter eggs with great joy. Not so the child won't find them, it's so the child will find them. And if they don't find them, you jolly well make sure they do. Oh, have a look over there. <laughs> he longs for us to find the things, the treasures that are hidden, that are found in the Holy Spirit. We can seek, we can find. As the deer pants for the waters. I love the way the psalmist so often expresses a hunger and a thirst for God and have we got that hunger and thirst? At the beginning of this series on the Holy Spirit, it's got to start with having a hunger and a thirst. Otherwise, we'll end up with information in our brains. and we, We've got enough. You, you know about the gifts of the Spirit. You know about the fruit of the Spirit. You know it. But we have to hunger for it to be part of our lives so that we move and breathe. That if I'm, if I'm addicted to wine, I'll probably wake up in the morning thinking about it. I'll be waking up looking forward to six o'clock, that magical hour when I can have my drink again. Or I might hide it away and think I'll have a quick nip before the kids get home from school. I'm hungry and thirsty for that. That's how we need to be. We need to stir up that hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit, so that we're thinking about it. it. It dominates our thinking. Lord, I'm going out to the shops. Can you arrange a divine appointment for me so that I can share something of you when I go there? Give me wisdom. I can't understand why my child's behaving this way. Will you show me that there is that ongoing infilling and experience of the Holy Spirit? Be hungry, be thirsty. And the thing is that as that happens, there's going to be transformation. So it's hunger and transformation. You know, you know what Peter was like before Pentecost? My word, denied Christ. He couldn't even talk to the, the serving, serving girl about being a disciple of Christ. But what a transformation when the Holy Spirit came. That same Peter, full of the Holy Spirit was testifying on the day of Pentecost. He was preaching the gospel. He didn't care who heard him because for him, he was on fire with the word of God. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you don't know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you love Jesus, that you've had a, a, an experience maybe similar to the one that Dave was talking about or maybe different from that, but you know you're a Christian, but you don't know that you've had that infilling with the Holy Spirit. This is the day for you. This is the day we can pray that the air goes into that balloon for you because it's for everybody. It's not exclusive. It's inclusive for every child of God. 
that you can speak in tongues, that you can hear God and bring a prophetic word. It's for every one of us that we are full of the life of Christ and a transformation takes place. We have to expect that things will happen when we follow the Holy Spirit. Is there something that's happened in your life this past week? This past month? This past year? When you can say, that was the Spirit of God in my life. Are we living like this? Or are we living like this? I just want to finish by saying that we, we saw a miracle. We had, did School of Supernatural back home um, about four or five years ago. We've done several, actually. But I was in the first one. There were only 12 of us. And Dave reminded me yesterday. He said, do you know that was a total miracle, the way a group of 12 people were totally transformed? We were not the beautiful people. There was a lot of need in that group. We hadn't got our, everything together. There, were, there was another leader, Phil Norris, you may know, who... Um, leads in Basingstoke, leads Basingstoke and the region there. And uh, myself, I was on it. I was on by accident. I didn't realize that it meant going out onto the streets every week. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. I thought it was just learning. I'm a great note taker. I love taking notes. It's a great joy for me to take notes and have notebooks and journals and underlining and all sorts of things and if things begin with the same letter, I'm just delighted like a kid with a lollipop. <laughs> but this course was about something different. And we saw 12 people totally transformed because they were spending time in the presence of God. They were spending time in worship. And the Lord was changing them by the power of his spirit. And you know what the change was? Boldness. That's what happened to this group of people. And it was like Peter became bold. And this group became bold. And there was Sarah, the lady who was too frightened to hold a microphone and would never, ever get in front of a group of people. She was just too timid, let alone talk to anybody in the street. And the Holy Spirit came upon her. And she was so transformed that her kids said, Mom, you're totally different. What's happened to you? And her husband was so impressed with the transformation that he said, I've got to go on the next school of supernatural because I want to be changed like my wife. Things happen. Things change. And just as the Holy Spirit came on the great leaders in the Old Testament, Moses totally transformed from being nervous about what God was asking him to do to being empowered. Gideon and Joshua, all these men, they needed Courage, and we need courage to do what God calls us to do. Because you and I have got a mandate on our lives to be kingdom carriers out into the world wherever we are. Your places of work, your university or college or wherever you are in your family. How do we do that? We do it by being transformed first by the Holy Spirit and allowing a period of courage and boldness to come upon us, uh, on us so that we can share the gospel that we know. And if it's not doing that, we've got some serious questions. Is the Holy Spirit working within us? And I'm just going to tell you a couple of stories of what this looked like for us. Anne came into the group and she didn't want to do this group at all. Her husband had forced her to do it. She was empty. She had just gone into retirement. She felt her life was over. She was pretty miserable. 
and her husband um, had had suicidal thoughts. He was in depression. They were one couple in the group. That's what I mean about, like, we were not, we were not together in this group. And within the first few weeks, the Lord showed her, the Holy Spirit showed her she was like an empty tank. And there was rust and grit at the bottom of this tank. She said, Lord, that's me. That's how I feel. And she saw this beautiful water filling into this tank. And she just received. And she knew that her tank was full. If there are empty tanks here today, we can pray that the Holy Spirit will pour in that living water and fill you up so that you contain that water and it can be used to flow out from you. We were singing about that earlier. And Anne became on fire for the Holy Spirit. And what happened was she started to love people out there and she wanted to share what all about Jesus. And she did this with her husband and she remembers sitting on a bench And she said, Lord, I'm drying up a bit at one point. I'm drying up a bit. I need to pray with someone. And she opened her eyes. It's on a bench outside. And she knew somebody had come there. And this bed rolled up next to her. It wasn't a wheelchair, she said. It was a bed. She'd never seen this happen, ever. And she's suddenly saying, Lord, I want to pray with somebody. And this bed rolls up with this person with his legs right out and sitting right next to her. So she just turns to him and prays for him. And she has so many stories where she just prays something and then things happen. And she comes back so full of life. She was sitting outside. um, uh, She has a lot of sitting at. She sits on this bench and her husband's gone into a shop. And she starts, a Muslim, young Muslim guy comes and starts talking to her. And she gets so far in the conversation, she says, oh, I really need my husband to come out of the shop. I don't know where to go. He comes out of the shop and he says to this young guy, excuse me, I hope you don't mind me asking, but does September the 14th mean anything to you? And he says, that's my girlfriend's birthday. I've just been sharing with your wife. I'm so broken because after years of being together, we've just broken up. Can you imagine somebody coming and giving you the date of the, 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 the lady that is the problem that you've just been sharing with somebody? We need the Holy Spirit. We need to move in this way. And David is a guy who doesn't drive. He hasn't got a car, which means he hangs about bus stops and, and, and train stations quite a lot. And he's led someone to the Lord, at least one person to the Lord, outside the train station in Basingstoke. And he just chats to people at bus stops. And I don't know if this lady knew him at all. He did not know this lady one day when he was standing at a bus stop. And this lady just comes up to him and just says, will you pray for me? Just totally randomly. I, I think that's great. Don't. Wouldn't you like it if you were walking down the street and somebody totally randomly comes up to you and says, excuse me, would you pray for me? Don't we want that? Well, then we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 